All right, let's pray and, and we'll get into this. So Lord, take my meager, limited preparation and do something with it. Father, I just pray that uh, the words that I speak will be your words, that uh, they will impact the hearts and minds of those who will hear. And I just pray that you give them ears to hear. Open, open ears and open hearts, Father, that uh, your words will not return void. So I give you thanks and praise, Lord, and I ask all this now, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, if we had a slide up there, it would say that we're in the Holy Spirit series. And by the way, we are going to have to go old school this week, so we've got Bibles, so you're going to have to use these. I know it's a novel thing. Now, yes, you can use your phone, but no, we haven't cut the Wi-Fi off. And I want to address something that, um, and I, I don't think she would mind. Sally asked me this question the other day, and I, it's actually a very good question. And I, some of you may be wondering this as well. But her question was, well, when we say, come Holy Spirit, isn't that redundant? Because doesn't the Holy Spirit already live in us? And if we're saying, come Holy Spirit, well, why are we asking him to come someplace that he already is? Well, it's not redundant, and here's why. Yes, the Holy Spirit does live within us. That is absolutely true. But the idea of, of when we pray, come Holy Spirit, what we are asking for is more of the manifest presence of God to come and be with us. Okay? So, when... And what can result when that happens is there's generally a change in the atmosphere. There's something that you can feel. Uh, that's why I've had people say, you know, gosh, I, there's something here. I just can kind of feel it. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of presence that we are asking for. And it's in that, in that heightened presence of the Holy Spirit that more of, the, uh, of those signs and wonders and miracles and things like that can happen in that kind of an atmosphere. So that's really the whole point in praying that prayer. Um, does that help maybe clear that up a little bit? Because I know that it's, that's a, it's a really a good question because uh, and we probably don't make that distinction often enough. All right, so the, the title of this message is when, when We Gather. So we've been looking at these various scenarios of um, kind of the Holy Spirit's power in various situations. And so last week, if you were here, we talked about the idea of as you go, right? And so as we go out into the world, as we go about our everyday lives, obviously the Holy Spirit is with us. We're taking him into that world. And so we then can bring that power and presence to bear on everyone we come in contact with, whether it's a job, school, um, movies, you know, whatever. Everything's on the table. There is nothing that are off limits. And so, um, when I was working through this message, there was, um, had a few challenges, as I've indicated. And so, what I want to say to start with is that one of the things that's important to do, <coughs> whether it's me speaking or whether it's somebody else speaking, is that you want to make sure that what is being said tracks with Scripture, yeah. right? And if you're looking for an example in the Bible of, 
a group or person who was very diligent in that regard, probably there are none that were praised more in terms of their diligence than a group of people from the town of Berea, and they were known as the Bereans. And you really only find them mentioned once in the New Testament, really in the whole of Scripture, I believe, and it's in chapter 17 of Acts, okay? Now, you don't need to go there. We're not going to spend really much time um, on this, but I did want to use them as an example of, of what we're going to be talking about. So, Paul encounters them because he's been in uh, Thessalonica and he's driven out. The, uh, those that are opposed to Christianity and opposed to what he's teaching have driven him out of that city. And so he goes on. And the next town he comes to is Berea. And there he's much more well-received. They kind of welcome him. They enjoy listening to him. And he stays there until the folks from Thessalonica catch up to him, and now they chase him out of uh, Berea as well. But Luke, who actually wrote the book of Acts, is very complimentary of the Bereans. And, and of them he writes, and this is in uh, verse 11 of chapter 17. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These folks are listening to Paul, and they like what he's saying, but they want to make sure that what he's saying lines up with Scripture, right? Um, and so they're, they're looking through their scrolls of the Old Testament, trying to see. They didn't have, they didn't have cell phones. They had scrolls. So they're, they're, they're really making sure that Paul's teaching the truth, because they don't want to be duped. Well, I'm mentioning them, this group today, because I think from time to time we need to remember that it's important for us when we hear something being said that we actually verify that it's true. And, and since we're talking about this concept of the Holy Spirit's power when we gather, okay, it's kind of the topic today, there's one particular passage in script well two actually but they're kind of they're right next to each other so there's two passages in scripture that uh, folks would really expect to, to, to hear preached and we are going to talk about it but not probably in the way that you expect and it's something that Jesus said but and it's true, but over time what's happened is its meaning has taken on a completely different perspective than really what the context of the passage speaks to. Okay, and so what we're going to do today is we're all going to be good Bereans today, and we're going to examine the scriptures uh, to really understand what Jesus is saying in these verses. And we're going to do so by looking at them in their proper context. Now, the verses, if you haven't figured it out already, are from uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20. And he says, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, these two verses are traditionally taken to mean that God spays 
pays special attention to the prayers of believers when two or more are gathered together. That is not a correct interpretation of that passage. I'm not saying God doesn't pay special attention. I'm just saying you can't use that passage as a means of proving that, and here's why. It's taking the, the, the statements out of context, and we're going to look at the context in a moment, okay? But the, the context of this particular passage is church discipline. When we look at the, the three verses that are in front of it, you will see that what we're talking about is disciplining somebody within the church, okay? Someone who has strayed a little bit. So that's one problem. The other problem is that the conclusion that it might lead us to regarding prayer is somewhat contrary to what Scripture tells us. See, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that God listens differently to one person praying than he does when two or more are praying. See, if that were true, then we would have to assume that the times when Jesus went off by himself to pray lacked effectiveness because it was by himself. And Jesus' own half-brother, James, made the point that the prayer of a single righteous person is powerful enough to heal someone who is sick by drawing on the power of God. Okay? So we would have to sort of um, grant that those things are true if, we, if we're going to hold to the belief that that's what these passages are saying. So now let's look at exactly what they do say. I'm going to read from Matthew again and just going to jump up um, from 19, I guess, uh, three or four verses to, to 15. So we're going to read 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, let me stop there just for a second. This is the passage that we use when we use it in this church when issues come up, right? If somebody has an issue with me or you have an issue with somebody else, the proper format for this is you don't go tell six other people, hey, Jeff, I got a problem with him. No, you, you should come to me and say, can I talk to you? I have, uh, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of an issue maybe with something you said or something you did. Or, and that would apply to anybody, right? Okay. Six, verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so this is the next step in the process. You come to me, I kind of blow you off, say, no, you're wrong. Well, okay, what's your recourse there? Well, you should go get a couple of other folks. Now is the time where you can bring somebody else in. And then together we sit down and talk again. Okay, and this, this is going back to the Old Testament. There's an Old, Old Testament verse about that there needs to be at least two or three witnesses in order to accuse somebody of something. All right, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, 
tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, well, this is Jesus speaking. And so those were sort of, for Jews, those were the two groups that they were not very fond of, Gentiles and tax collectors. I, at least part of that is still true today. Um, I'm, if any of you work for the IRS, you are more than welcome here. <laughs> Just maybe don't share that in uh, the first part of the year. All right. So verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. All right, now are you starting to see what I'm talking about? There's this clear connection with the immediately preceding discussion about how you restore someone who has gone off the rails a little bit and, and, and fallen into error, all right? 18 and 19 sort of relate the disciplinary uh, restoration actions of these disciples that Jesus is speaking to on earth to the decisions that the Father makes in heaven, all right? So he's trying to draw a connection there. And... Um, the word again at the beginning of verse 19 just suggests that the verse is restating the principle of verse 18. All right? And notice we've got two or three that show up in these verses, and it's similar. It's the same two or three that are apparent in the verses that are above. Okay? It's first mentioned in verse 16. So if you put this in, his pro in its proper context, Jesus is present with his followers when they gather and seek his leadership about dealing with troubling issues in the church. All right, do we see that? Okay. He's going to answer their prayer for the sinning believer's restoration. Okay, so now that I've popped that bubble, <laughs> you, you know, those of you, and I mean, I, I didn't always realize this either. I mean, I used to probably use that verse as much as anybody else because I didn't really understand what it meant. So there's no shame in that. Um, but like I said, we, we, we say this all the time. Context is so important, right? If you don't understand the context of, of what is being, you know, when and where and how and to who something is being said, it's very easy to sort of miss the intended meaning of a particular scripture. So, with that said, does this mean that there's no power in gathering together for prayer? I don't think so. I think this is just one example that was talking about a specific instance. Um, but so let's go on with this and, and uh, see if we can come to some conclusion. So if you uh, are looking up in either a Bible or an app, go to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14. Acts 1, 12 through 14. And that says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up, went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. 
All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay. First, a little, just some, a little interesting note. Um, this phrase, a Sabbath day's journey, it's an expression of distance, really. It's not the day that this took place on. And what it is referencing, of course, is that Jews believed that, as we are really supposed to believe, that we shouldn't work on the Sabbath day. And for Jews, that was Saturday. For us, we take it as Sunday. Uh, and so they wanted to be careful not to do any work on the Sabbath. Walking a long distance was considered work. And so what this expression really means is that this is a short distance on foot, um, probably less than a mile. In some cases, I've heard a kilometer. Um, but whatever it is, it probably took about 15 minutes to go from one place to the other. So that's what this is, is talking about with this idea of a Sabbath day's journey. So it would be no more than what you would walk on a Sabbath day. Um, okay, that's kind of a little side note. We're not going to chase that rabbit anymore. But there are two important elements I hear that speak to this idea of power in gathering for prayer. Okay, Unity and perseverance. That's really what I see in this... Um, in, the, in this passage. And so first you have unity. You've got a real mixture of people here. Okay? If you read a little bit further, there were actually 120 in this room. Right? You, you see that in the verses that just come a little bit, little bit after this. And so it wasn't just the disciples. And it wasn't just Mary as well as the brothers uh, of Jesus. You had a whole mixture of people. Um, so... you probably had a whole lot of different agendas there as well. I mean, that's pretty typical when a group gets together. Um, and maybe when you're not really even sure why. And I, I would tend to believe that these folks, I mean, they heard what Jesus said. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. They're like, yes, sir, we will do that. Because they had just seen him go up to heaven with their own eyes. So it's kind of like, yeah, I think maybe we should do what he says. <laughs> and so they go back, but they really, they don't understand why they're going back. At least I don't believe they did. I mean, I, at this point, they've been pretty clueless through the, the vast majority of Jesus' ministry. I mean, if you read the scriptures honestly, they're constantly going, Lord, what do you mean? Why, why did you say that? What's the meaning of that parable? Right? They're, they're really not portrayed very well. However, I don't know that we would be any different. right? Because Jesus wasn't exactly crystal clear all the time in what, he, what his meaning was. And that was purposeful. right? That was, that was to sort of, those with ears to hear had to sort of winnow out what was sort of maybe reading between the lines in a lot of cases of what he was saying. But you have this group of at least 120, all of many different opinions, but yet they're in this room and they've got this, this special sense of purpose about them. Okay? There's um, the Greek word that is used to, to um, that's translated together in English. It's a favorite word of Luke's. He uses it, I don't know, 10 some odd times. Uh, 
throughout his writings, and it only occurs one other place in the entire of the New Testament. And so it's a word that describes both unity in prayer and a united decision in prayer. And so it's a togetherness that implies a whole lot more than just being in the same place at the same time. It's, um, It's active agreement in what they're praying for. It's this idea of this one group being of one mind and singleness of purpose in focusing on this prayer. And what they're praying for, I would assume, is for what Jesus said. They're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And so the second item, we had unity, and then we have perseverance. And this is another Greek word that's translated devoted here, but also can mean to be busy or persistent in all the activity that you're taking part in. And so there's little doubt from reading this that unity and perseverance in prayer were really what Jesus was commanding them to do. And so he commanded them, he told them the Spirit was going to come, he told them to go wait for him to come, and then to begin spreading that news throughout, uh, throughout the world. And I think what's important here is the fact that just because God has promised something, d- that doesn't make prayer superfluous to it, right? It's the promises that he gives us that give us the warrant to pray, right? And the confidence that when we pray, we will hear, we will get answers, all right? And then we look at Acts 2.1, just a few verses down the road which simply says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay. Now, this is sort of interesting to me because Jesus never told them to go wait in the same place. He, he told them to go back and wait, but I think they could just as easily have gone and each been in a different spot and waited, and yet they sort of chose to remain together. Right? And I think it's pretty clear that the Holy Spirit could have come to each one individually. They didn't have to be in the same room together. But maybe that was the Holy Spirit already at work, sort of instinctively helping them understand that there was this power in gathering together. And so we know, (coughs) if you were to read further on in chapter 2, if you've read this before, you'll be familiar with the, the idea that all of a sudden they hear this thing that sounds like a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't. It sounded like it. And there were these things that looked like tongues of fire. Again, they weren't. They looked like that. That sort of come, and all of a sudden they start speaking in all these different languages. And so this power comes upon them as they are gathered there together. right? And I think... Again, that's what we're talking about when we use this term, come Holy Spirit, right? We already have that, but then there's this, you know, I don't know if it's an acceleration or just a greater uh, sense of his presence or whatever um, that happens when we gather together. And I mean, I think 
I think I know a number of you have felt it when you've come in here on a Sunday. We've clearly felt it when we have gathered together um, on our community prayer nights, first Wednesday of the month, which reminds me, we have one coming up. All right. Now this one's going to be a little different. We've got the worship team that is going to be here for that, that evening. And so this is going to be a combination of both worship and prayer. Okay, so the, the, the main difference, though, is that it will begin at 7 o'clock, not 6.30. All right, 7 o'clock on Wednesday, not 6.30. That's just an issue, make sure everybody can get here. <coughs> All right, so if you're used to coming at 6.30, you'll be early. <laughs> I won't say for a change. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I just did. Oops. Right. So as we've been doing, I want to read you a couple of stories <coughs> from this Come Holy Spirit book uh, <coughs> that just sort of illustrate what I've been talking about. And this first one is called Real People, Real God. Emmy grew up believing in Jesus, but life circumstances had a way of leaving her faith battered and bruised. Trying to make it as a single parent was tough terrain. Mental illness billowed in on her like a blizzard, and then another Rocky Mountain winter followed suit. Driving home from work one Wednesday, her plan for the evening was to figure out who could raise her two-year-old after she ended her life. A small sign on the side of the road caught her eye. Come to church tonight. Real people, real God. She had friends at that church, and they'd invited her several times. One family friend named Rose <laughs> would always say, you can come to this church as you are with all your real life struggles. You're always welcome and God is there. I think it would be good for you. Emmy was in no mood to go to church, that was for sure. But an urge kept bugging her as she got home and fixed her son dinner. She decided to make a deal with God. <laughs> Have you ever made a deal with God? God, if you're real, you need to meet me tonight at church. I need something, anything, because I'm falling apart in every single way. If you don't meet me, I'm done with this life and giving up. Walking, <coughs> walking through the doors, Emmy was immediately embraced by Rose. The two sat together in the back row, Rose silently asking God to meet Emmy right where she was at. And he did. The message that night felt like God was speaking right to Emmy. They were the exact words her raw, broken soul needed to hear. Afterwards, Emmy raised her hand asking for prayer. Rose and several others surrounded her. Their hands felt like the living hands of Jesus. Their hugs felt as if they were from Jesus himself. God, overwhelm her with your love, they prayed and many other specific encouragements that only God could have told them to say. The presence of the Holy Spirit was palpable. Spirit's presence. Come Holy Spirit. Emmy felt like such a mess, and yet God was eager to draw near to her in the middle of that mess. How many folks have ever believed that you have to get your mess cleaned up before God will come near. 
not true. God meets you right where you are, right? You don't have to, there's no requirement to be a certain way or to get to a certain point. So many of us think that. I can't tell you how many folks I've heard, well, you know, when I get my life straightened out, then I'll go back to church. No. That's like, you know, that's like, (laughs) it's like being in a horrific accident and then saying, well, I'll go to the hospital once I staunch the bleeding a little better. Right? Stupid. (coughs) God would never leave her. He cared about the intricate details of her life, and these people cared too. It shifted her whole perspective on life. That night, the Lord answered Emmy's ultimatum and then some. She remembers it as the night that saved her life. Rose continued to pray fervently for Emmy, believing God was doing something amazing in her life. She called the pastor the next morning and asked him to pray for Emmy, too. Emmy is alive and well today. She and her son are now fully immersed in the church community, eager to to participate and learn and live real life with real people who need a real God just as much as she does. And the other one is called uh, All Things Made New. (coughs) And this one, I think, is going to resonate with someone, at least, in this room. Braden had hit rock bottom. He'd spent years doing all the things he shouldn't do, reveling in sin and illegal activity, and now he had nothing, not even a reason to keep living. In a moment of deep hopelessness, God spoke directly to his heart. You were meant for more than this, Braden. Braden wept for a long time and placed his life in God's hands. But many struggles and repercussions from his choices complicated his life. God was with Braden in the middle of it, helping him reclaim his life, his relationship, his finances, and to heal him from the physical scars. Braden's courage was evident, but he still had so much shame and regret over his past. While attending an Ash Wednesday service at his church, he was given a blank piece of paper to write down what he felt led to give up for Lent. Looking at the blank paper, Braden sensed the Lord say to him, leave it blank, all things made new. During Lent, God led Braden through surrendering more aspects of his life to God, although it wasn't easy, Braden chose to obey God. Still, how many people have a still? You hear all that, you know all that, and then you go, but still. Still he questioned God. Could God fully forgive him for all the things he'd done in the past? How could he move forward with such a heavy past to carry? As his journey continued to unfold, one Sunday morning marked a huge leap forward. The message was about healing. At the end of the service, anyone who needed physical healing was invited to the front to receive prayer. Braden's ears had always been a problem. 
Multiple infections in childhood had left both ears sounding full of fluid, especially the left ear. Even though he'd asked God to heal his ears many times, he responded to the altar call. The moment the prayer for healing was voiced over Braden, his ears opened. The physical healing impacted him deeply. If God cared enough to heal his hearing, maybe God wasn't ashamed of Braden. Maybe he really was a full-fledged member of God's family. If he was eligible for the benefit of physical healing, maybe he was also eligible for full acceptance and forgiveness. With his hearing restored, Braden allowed God to take away the shame that he'd carried for so long. Soon after being healed, he chose to be baptized, even though he'd been baptized as an infant. Coming up out of the waters, he felt a joy he had never known, and he heard God say once again, all things made new. God is present when we gather. He's here right now. I want us to do something. I want us to actually, as a group, take this message and put it into practice. We have two people that have been at the top of our prayer list for a long time. And, and, and Jen. So what I want us to do right now is as we are gathered as a group with hopefully these words of encouragement still, hopefully you haven't forgotten what I just said already. I mean, at least wait till you get outside. Let's, we're going to gather together and we're going to pray for each one of these ladies, okay? They're both facing dire circumstances, right? They need a miracle. And yes, we acknowledge that, you know, there is healing in, in the hereafter, that, you know, we can experience healing now and we can experience later, that the timing of all of that is up to God. We understand that. doesn't mean we have to accept that that's in the inevitability of the situation, all right? We still pray. And until God tells us not to, and that, that does happen. Sometimes in the presence of someone who is at the, at the end of their life, God may say, no, it's their time. Let them come. But we don't sense that so much yet. At least I don't. That we're, It's still not okay to pray that way. So I'm going to ask you to do something, and I know not everyone can do this, but if you can, I'd like you to kneel. Um, you don't have to, but if you can, if you're physically able to, uh, 
if you would kneel. And I'm going to, we're going to pray for Maggie and then for Jen, okay? And I will start it, and if anybody else just wants to pray as well, just speak it out, and uh, then I will close this and we'll go on to the next one. So let's pray. Father, we lift our sister Maggie up before you. Lord God, we know the situation that, it, that she faces is not one that an earthly doctor is going to look at and have a lot of hope. But Father, we believe that what your word says is true and that the miraculous can still happen. And so we pray for that type of a healing for her right this minute. We, this body of Christ, are now gathered together. We are of one mind, and we are united in our prayer. Touch her right now. Let her remember that at 1135 on Sunday, September 29th, there was a shift in the way she felt. Touch her, Lord Jesus. Father God, I lift as well our sister Ginny up to you. Her situation is no different. Earthly doctors would look at her and hold out very little, if any, hope. But again, Lord, we just pray for your miraculous touch upon her. inside and out. Father, as well, I pray that you would bless the families of both of these women. Bless Mike. Bless Jeremy. Bless Kinsey. Bless Sarah. And Michael and Joey. thanks and praise for the opportunity to be your hands and feet, to petition for the healing and the health of those that we love. So we give you praise, Lord, in this and in all things. And together, as a united body, all of God's people says, Amen. Amen.
would like prayer, we're going to do something a little different uh, than the way we've been doing it. We're going to make the two back corners sort of our um, available for prayer. Because I, I understand that, you know, maybe coming up in front of everybody can be uncomfortable. And so in order to make that maybe a little easier for some, there's a corner back there, kind of where that light is, and there's a light in the back over there. If I could just have some folks who are released to pray to head over there um, and be available uh, if, if you have prayer, you're more than welcome. I would be happy to pray with you as well for whatever. Um, God's in the house. Let's not fail to take advantage of what he is capable of. So we invite you to stay. If you need to go, that's perfectly understandable. Want to stay and just remain in God's presence or receive prayer for something? Uh, we certainly invite you to do that as well. So, like I said, in the two uh, back corners. So, Father God, I just lift this up to you. I thank you for your presence here today. Come and touch your people as they leave this place. that they would truly be your hands and feet as they go out into this world. Bless them, protect them. Let them feel your love so that they can in turn give that love away to others. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the love that you have for us. It is incomparable. We give you thanks and praise. And we offer this prayer to you now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.